Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church to a brand new year and a brand new series. How about starting the new year with some Pink Floyd, huh? All right. So uh, we, we trust you had a wonderful Christmas. We trust you had a great New Year's weekend, whatever you did. Um, my wife and I had the privilege and the opportunity to travel out west to uh, Los Angeles, where we spent Christmas week with our son Caleb, who's doing his pediatric residency there in Los Angeles. And it is a toss-up between the traffic in Los Angeles and the winters in Dayton. I don't know which I dislike more. They're both pretty brutal. But we had a wonderful week. We got to enjoy some very nice, very warm temperatures. Even got in a little tennis while we were there, which was kind of icing on the cake. Well, I'm not sure what you all you did over the holidays, but uh, end of the year is always a chance for me to kind of look at the year behind me and look at the year ahead. And so one of the things that I did here over the holiday week is I actually took time to listen to an audio book. Uh, it was a short read. It was a great read. One word that will change your life. It came highly recommended by my wife, Kelly, which was good enough for me. And so I downloaded it on Hoopla, and I listened to it, and it, it was a great opportunity. I was able to listen to it in about an hour, all 10 chapters, and uh, the essence of it is really something that most of us here already know. And really, the premise of the book is very simple, that New Year's resolutions usually don't work. I learned in the book what we already know. 50% of people who make a New Year's resolution by month's end will already have, have, have not been doing or have not fulfilled and have not continued that New Year's resolution. In fact, 25% of people who actually make a New Year's resolution have fallen off the wagon by the end of the first week. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning to find out how many of you are in that category. And what we also learn is that 10%, only less than 10% of people who make a New Year's resolution actually are still working on it or have fulfilled it by the end of the year. So if you're here and you made a New Year's resolution this year, you've got your work cut out for you. Now here's the reality about New Year's resolutions. The reality is this. Most of us set goals that are to-do goals rather than to-be goals. When we think about resolutions, most of us are thinking about what do I need to accomplish or do differently this year? And therein lies the problem. For so many of us, we spend the bulk of our energy thinking about what we want to do rather than who we want to become. And so the idea of the one word is very simple. Instead of setting some random resolutions, how about choosing just one word? One word that defines perhaps where you are today, but more importantly, where do you want to be? A word that actually will take you to a place where you can become a better you in the new year. Now, let me ask you the question. What is your word going to be for 2018? Now, if you want to dig into that a little bit deeper, then I want to invite you to join us for one prayer tomorrow evening. Because tomorrow evening at one prayer, we're going to all have an opportunity to find our word for 2018. 
the author suggests you won't find the word, the word will find you. And we're going to come together and we're going to find a word that can not only define but help us become a better us for 2018. So I want to invite you to join us tomorrow evening, 6.30 to 7.30, for one prayer right here in the auditorium. We'd love to have you be a part, and we'd love you to get a good frame for the year ahead. Now, this Sunday is a very special Sunday for us here at Grace Crossing Church. Actually, every Sunday is a special Sunday for us at Grace Crossing Church. But this week is especially special. I don't even know if you can say that, but it is. It is especially special this week. Because the first Sunday in January always marks our anniversary as a church. So happy anniversary, everybody. Put your hands together. Today, we celebrate our anniversary. It was January the 8th, 2006, when we, for the very first time, worshipped God together on the campus of Wright State University. For the, for the next four years, the Student Union building, the Apollo Room, became the primary sanctuary whereby we gathered week in and week out to lift up our hearts to God. And when we launched Grace Crossing Church in 2006, we set out to eliminate everything and anything from our services that would get in the way of people experiencing fully God's love, and God's grace. We wanted nothing to stand between every individual and the cross of Jesus Christ. So we said we want to get everything out of a traditional service that could stand in the way. And one of the things that we chose to eliminate at that particular time was taking up a weekly offering. Now, that was a really courageous decision that our leadership made in 2006 because we knew the risk that was involved. The risk that we ran is that we were going to lose the tippers who were pleased with good service. And we made a decision. We made a decision that instead of taking a weekly guild offering, we would rather build a community of fully surrendered Christ followers who were putting Jesus Christ first in every area of their life, including their finances. And we knew that was going to take time. We knew it was going to be a risk. We knew that we would lose the tippers, but here's what we said. We would prefer to lose the tippers than keep somebody from getting to the cross of Jesus. Now, there is a lot of upside to the decision we made. We've experienced it here at Grace Crossing Church. But there are some downsides. One of the downsides to the decision we made is that because we do not talk about money every week at Grace Crossing Church, it is easy for some people to conclude that it isn't important and that we don't need the financial support. If you're sitting in this auditorium this morning and you've ever thought that, I can tell you that is not the case. Here at Grace Crossing Church, we are 100% supported by one stream of revenue, and that's you. We are 100% supported by those that God has called to Grace Crossing Church and who now call Grace Crossing Church their church family. We have no other outside resourcing. We have no other source of revenue that comes in except by those who are supporters and those that are friends and those that are fully committed to the vision and the mission and the values of Grace Crossing Church. 
And so I want to begin this year by saying thank you. We are who we are today. We are sitting where we are today because of people like you who believed in the mission and the message of Grace Crossing Church. We could never have accomplished everything we have. We could never have moved from being a church without walls into a place like this were it not for people who were fully committed to the ministry and the messaging of Grace Crossing Church. In fact, we needed people who did not just believe in Grace Crossing Church, but who bought into it, who were fully bought in to helping us become the people and the church community that God called us to be. So I want to begin this year by just saying from the bottom of my heart, thank you to each and every one of you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Now the second downside to not talking about money by taking a weekly collection is this. Many can assume that it is not important to God. And nothing is further from the truth. So this morning, as we launch this brand new year, we launch a brand new series. And for this Sunday and for the remainder of January, we're going to focus on money. I know some of you walked in this morning and you picked up the handout and you just got a little nervous. You said, listen, we're going there. Yes, we're going there because God goes there. And God goes there for a very specific reason. It's an important reason. It's one that I want you to hear as we start this series. In fact, it is the premise of this entire series. It's the big idea this morning. And here it is. Jesus talked money because money talks. Jesus talked money because money talks. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about wealth acquisition and wealth management than any other topic in Scripture? Did you know that Jesus dealt more with money and possessions more than heaven and hell combined? Jesus talked more about our treasures than he did our time and our talents. More about our wealth and possessions than prayer and faith and miracles. When you come to the Gospels, you discover some really startling things. Nearly half of all Jesus' parables dealt at some level, directly or indirectly, with our possessions and our wealth. And if you look at the whole of the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, this is amazing, one out of every 10 verses deal directly or indirectly with our wealth and how we handle our wealth. And the reason is simple. Nothing reveals the condition of the human heart like the stewardship of our wealth. Nothing reveals the condition of the human heart as how we steward our wealth. Jesus unequivocally said this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, with these words. Where your treasure is, notice this, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When it comes to money, I think we can put everybody into one of four categories. There are one of four views that every person has when it comes to their wealth. 
Here it is. The first one is my money, my way. My money, my way. The second view of wealth some people have is my money, God's way. Some people view money as God's money, my way. And the fourth view of wealth is God's money, God's way. Every single one of us in this auditorium this morning view our wealth in one of those four categories. And so I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Which of those four do you find yourself in today? My money, my way. My money, God's way. God's money, my way. Or God's money, God's way. Which do you find yourself in? More importantly, which would you like to be found in this morning? According to the Bible, there is only one view of wealth, according to Scripture, that is acceptable to God. And I bet you can't guess which one it is. It's no surprise. When you come to the whole of Scripture, what we discover very, very clearly is that God's view of wealth is it's His He gives it to us to steward. We'll be held responsible for something that doesn't belong to us. And it is God's wealth, God's money, God's way. And so here at Grace Crossing Church, our number one value is a biblical worldview. Here's what that simply means. That means we choose to view our life by the lenses through which God views life. It means that we choose to see things as God sees them. And as we choose to see things as God sees them, we then are called to align our lives to the values of God. And so in this series that we're about to step into, we're going to talk about and answer that big question. How does God view money and wealth? And how does God want us to view it? So to get us started in this series, I want to take us this morning to a story that appears in three of the four Gospels, only one of a handful of stories that actually appears that many times in the Gospels. It's that significant. It's a story that has two characters in its cast, and it deals with three primary issues. It deals with what we love, how we wrestle with wealth, and how God sees both. The story that we're going to look at this morning does not deal primarily with how much money we have. It deals with how much money has us. And that's the important thing that I want you to hear as the frame as we journey into this story this morning. I want to read the frame of this from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, based on all of the gospel narratives, there are some important things we learn about the unnamed man in this text. From Matthew's gospel, we learn, first of all, that he was young, which means that he was probably a 20-something based on the Jewish culture and based on a first-century idea of when somebody became an elder. We also learn from Matthew's gospel that he was wealthy, which all of the other gospel narratives corroborate. From Luke's gospel, we learn that this unnamed man was a ruler, which means that he had some type of power and authority in the political Jewish structure. Listen, he was not just a person of affluence, he was also a person of influence in the first century. So this guy had power, he had authority that he could leverage. And the whole of his conversation with Jesus hinged on one question, just eight words, found in verse number 17. Here it is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The question of this man, the central focus, was very fascinating. Because what he wanted to know was what he had to do to inherit. His understanding of a relationship with God was based on doing rather than being. And more than likely, he had gotten already an inheritance. He was wealthy, not because of work that he had done, not because of his job. He likely had gotten his inheritance Because he was born into some type of wealth, he had some type of arrangement, there was some type of financial inheritance that he had received, that he had already already received or it was due him, it was coming to him. Either way, what we know is this guy's frame was very clear. It was something that I had to continue to do to inherit eternal life. It's a central question, isn't it? That's a question all of us ask at some point in our lives, whether or not we are a Christian. What do I need to do to get to heaven? What's it going to take on my part to make sure that I don't miss out on heaven? And every person is asking this question at some point. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus, knowing his frame actually brings to him the idea of things that we are called to do. Verse 19, here's what he says. Jesus said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus here double clicks on six of the Ten Commandments all having to do with our relationship with other people. 
And what he says, in essence, to this guy is this. He begins by affirming his knowledge. He begins by saying to this man, I want to affirm that you're knowledgeable. I want to affirm that you don't have a theological problem. Your issue is not theological. He is the kid in the class that everybody likes to hate. Because this is the guy that knows everything and wants everybody to know that he knows everything. Okay, so have you ever shown up for a class, ever shown up and gotten a test handed to you, and when you looked at it, you went, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I don't have any clue about what's on this test. I've been there so many times in my life, I don't even want to care to remember how many times I walked in and felt that. But how few of us ever walk in and actually go, you get the test, you look at it, and you go, this is a cinch. This is the guy. He's looking at the exam. He hears what Jesus is saying, and he's going, I've got this. This is not even going to take me just a few minutes. And that is proven by his response to Jesus. Look at verse number 20. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Mm. I got this. This is not going to even be difficult. This is the guy that in the SAT test walks up to the front and hands it in, and you're not even halfway through it. And you're going, what's wrong with that guy? But he's got it. Pencil drop. I'm done. He's on his way out. He's on his way out. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, there's a part of the exam that you forgot. It's on the backside. You didn't turn the paper over. There's more to this thing than just what you know. It is more than just your theology. And Jesus now raises the stakes a bit. In fact, he raises them quite a bit. Look at verse number 21. Go, he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Here's the bonus question. This is the extra credit. What Jesus here is suggesting in these words is this. Every other thing that you have taken on this test doesn't really matter. This is a weighted test. It all comes down to the bonus question. How you respond to this one is going to determine everything about your original question to me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here is the essence of the question Jesus presents back to him. It's the question I want to present to you today. What price would you pay for heaven? That's really the question Jesus is, is posing to him. What Jesus is saying is this. If you were to place a monetary value 
on securing a spot in heaven, what would the monetary value be? In other words, how much is too much? What is a relationship with God really worth to you? That's what he's asking. Is it worth $1,000? Maybe 100000 Is it worth a million? Is it worth a billion? Is it worth a trillion dollars? Is it worth your cars? Is it worth your home? Your pension? Your Roth IRA? Jesus is getting to the heart of this guy because he knows that the heart of this guy is attached to something else. And what Jesus is saying here is very simple. What value are you going to place on your eternal life? Now, please do not read into this text, in this verse, what is unintended. But please don't miss what is intended. Don't read into this that every single one of us, that Jesus here is setting forth a requirement that we must all go and sell everything we have or we cannot be a Christian. That is not consistent with the whole of Scripture. That's not what's intended. But don't miss what is intended. Jesus is really saying this. There is something else that your heart is attached to. And any time that anything else or anyone else takes my place, it is displaced and it must be replaced with me and me alone. Jesus is raising the bar so high that this man is stopped in his tracks when he hears Jesus. In fact, verse number 22 tells us how he responds. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Please notice with me, friends, the source of this man's sorrow and sadness. The source of his sorrow and sadness was his wealth. It caused him to make a decision. You see, a lot of people are like this guy. Like this guy in the sense that God can ask us for anything he wants to ask us for as long as God doesn't ask us for our money. We're okay. God, you can ask me to do anything. You can ask me to be anything. I'll give any, but, but God, don't ask me to give my wealth. And there are several things I want you to see about this story that are just really profound. The first one is this. Nothing in life gets our attention like money does. Nothing catches our attention. Nothing stops us in our tracks. Nothing gets our attention like money. And the same is true with God. Nothing gets his his attention like our attitude toward money. God is not concerned with our wealth and how much we have. It comes from him. But what God is concerned about is how much our wealth has us. Is it in its proper place in our lives? Money will stop you in your tracks. I read over the holidays about a woman in Pennsylvania who got an electric bill, and in the electric bill, the total was $284 billion. Her first payment in December was over $28,000. 
My question is not the lady getting the bill. My question is, who in that electric company, in their right mind, would see the bill and send it out? When she was interviewed, she said, well, I, I did put up some Christmas lights, and I was wondering if I just connected them wrong or something. $284 billion? That would be one disastrous connection. Listen, you don't need a $284 billion bill to get you stopped in your tracks. Money has a way, doesn't it, of getting our attention. The second thing you need to know about money is that money, unlike most anything else, will will cause some deep emotional responses. There are some profound emotional responses that we have to money. Here's the deal. Money can be a great source of pleasure and joy, but it can equally be a great source of pain and sorrow and sadness. I don't know where you're at in the new tax bill that was signed into law the end of December. Um, There are people that are very excited about it. Others aren't so excited. So I did a back of the envelope on my 2007 tax return just to see where I would have landed. And I can tell you that me, like like probably other middle-class people, are going to find that their itemized deductions will take a hit. There's going to be a change in what they're able to deduct in 2018. And so you may not be feeling real good about that. There may be some things you're going to have to adjust in your finances. But here is some good news that I want to share with you today. In the tax bill, they increased the ceiling on the charitable contributions from 50% of your adjusted gross income to 60% of your adjusted gross income. Isn't that good news? That means if you're here and you've hit your ceiling in giving to Grace Crossing, you've got another 10% that you can still get a tax write-off on. Question is, what are you going to do with the extra 10% of savings? Here's the deal. We can give it to God or we can give it to Uncle Sam. Choice is ours. We can do with it what we choose to do. Money creates some incredible emotional reactions. Money talks. In fact, money speaks loudly and clearly. And there are three things quickly that I want to share with you that I think money speaks to us about. The first money message in this story is this. Jesus loves us despite our struggle to surrender. I love verse number 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is, this verse is both incredibly comforting and it's convicting all at the same time. It's convicting because Jesus looked at him, and guess what? Jesus knew everything about his heart. That's convicting, wouldn't you agree? But it's so comforting because Jesus looked at him with love. Jesus knew everything, and yet despite what he knew, he still loved this guy. Here's what I love about this story. This guy comes to God, comes to Jesus because he loved God. But what troubles me about the story is he walked away because he loved money. Nothing speaks about our love like the management of our wealth does. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The second money message is really clear in this text, and it's this. 
Discipleship is an all-or-nothing proposition. Notice what Jesus doesn't do in the story. Jesus does not negotiate the terms. He doesn't say, let's just change things up a bit to make it palatable for you. In fact, let me remind you again in verse 21 of the terms that Jesus gives us. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. These five words, perhaps better than any, summarize what a Christian life, a life of discipleship is all about. Five words. Go, sell, give, come, follow. That's the essence of it. Somewhere along the line, each of those words are going to come into play in our Christian life. Now, Jesus' traditional MO and typical MO was people was to begin with saying, come and follow. He doesn't do that with this guy. And the reason he doesn't do that with this guy is because he knows that this guy's heart is attached to something other than him. He knows all the right answers. He passes all the tests. He's the star of the class. Problem is, he's got a heart deficiency. He's got a deficit. And so, not only do we need a word for 2018, but if I were to ask you this morning, which of those five words do you need most in 2018? Which would it be? Which is God calling you to? Perhaps God's calling you to go. Perhaps God is actually calling you to sell some things. Wouldn't that be a novel idea for Americans, right? Get rid of some stuff, downsize, simplify, which is my wife's word for 2018. Perhaps God is calling you to give or to give more. Perhaps he's calling you to come to him in full surrender, to come with honesty and humility and openness. Perhaps he's calling you to follow him deliberately with all of your heart. Whatever it is, discipleship is an all-or-nothing proposition. He doesn't negotiate the terms. And the third and final thing that I want you to see, we read about in verse number 23. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? Here's the third money message. You and I cannot separate God from our wealth, but our wealth can separate us from God. We cannot separate God from our wealth, but our wealth can separate us from God. And Jesus here does not say it's impossible. He says it's difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard if your heart's attached here and you want to be attached here as well. It's nearly impossible to do it. Somewhere you've got to let go of the grip that you have. Because with money and wealth, what we have, what we possess, what makes a way for us so many times in our life and our relationships can get in the way of our spiritual life and our relationship with God. 
So one of the great gifts I received over Christmas was a was just a little frame. And in it was a prayer. And this was the prayer. Abba Father, I open my clenched fists to surrender everything. I've chosen to make that my prayer for 2018. Abba Father, I open my clenched fists to surrender everything. And this morning, that's God's invitation to all of us. The most profound thing that Jesus said is found in verse number 21. One thing, one thing, one thing you lack. So as we close this morning, I want you to answer that question before the Lord. What is the one thing as you come into this year that you realize is lacking in your spiritual life? What is it the one thing? What is the one thing that may be lacking when it comes to your attitude toward your wealth and your possessions, which are really God's wealth and God's possessions? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want everyone in our auditorium to bow their heads and close their eyes. For the next few moments, I want you to imagine that you are standing face to face with Jesus. Jesus' eyes have locked onto your eyes. You have his full undivided attention. Now I want you to imagine that Jesus wants to hear your heart. He wants to know your desires. He wants to know what it is you want. For this man, he simply wanted to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it you need or want from God as you sit here this morning? I want you to tell him. I want you to take the next couple of moments, and I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. I want you to tell him what it is you need, what it is you want. I want you to imagine Jesus responding to you. And I want you to imagine him saying, I know everything about you, I know everything about your needs, I know everything about your heart. But one thing you lack is this. What would you hear him say to you this morning? What is the one thing you lack in terms of your wealth possessions.
Perhaps what you're going to hear Jesus say in these next few moments is, what you lack is trust. You don't really trust me, which is why you hoard. Maybe you're going to hear Jesus say, you're not really generous the way I'd want you to be. Maybe you're going to hear him say, you have fear and doubt and anxiety over something that I've already taken care of. Maybe you're going to hear him say, I just want more faithfulness. I don't know what he's going to speak to your heart about this morning, but what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you now to listen to him. In the quietness of this moment, as we close and prepare to close our service, Jesus wants to talk to you. What's he saying? One thing you lack is this. Just simply listen. Just simply listen. Commit your heart then to obey. ask you to close your hands in tight fists. I want everybody on their lap right now to clench their fists. This is how we come to him so often. When you feel as though you've heard from God, going to ask you to stand where you are and open those clenched fists with open palms. Abba Father, I open my clenched fists and surrender everything. As you feel prepared, stand where you are. Take your clenched fists. Open them and surrender.
all to Jesus. We got here at Grace Crossing Church surrender. All to him we freely give. We will ever love and trust him in his presence. Daily live. We surrender all, God. We surrender all because we remember what it felt like when we had nothing. And we were so dependent on you. We so needed you. And yet as we become more affluent in this country, and it's so easy for us to forget the source of our wealth and our prosperity. Forgive us, God. Forgive us today, God. Help us, Lord, to have hearts that are generous, fully surrendered to you, so that you can have your place in our lives, that your will can be accomplished in us individually and collectively as a community of believers. We pray today, Father, that you'll help us to face the thing that we lack and recognize that you look at us and you love us. You see it, you already know it. No surprise to you, God. So we thank you for accepting us where we are and who we are, but inviting us to become all that you desire for us to be. So today, Lord, we just invite you into this. The beginning of 2018, help us to open our clenched fists to surrender everything to you. We pray these things in Christ's name for God's glory for the further men and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ through this church. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Join us for one prayer tomorrow night. Let's get our one word for 2018. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.